0: What's up? This is Jeff Staple of the Business of Hype. And as everyone on planet Earth now knows, this is kind of a strange time that we're living in. With everyone hunkered down in their own homes, we were challenged with figuring out how to make a show, both logistically, because I typically interview all of my guests in person, but also like conceptually, like what do you guys want to actually listen to right now in the midst of what we're facing? What do y'all need right now? So we figured maybe let's call a bunch of the good people that have been on the show and just ask them how they're dealing and coping with Corona, both from a business standpoint, but also a personal one. I think hearing from people that inspire us will help us to figure out the footing in these uncertain times. I think we all go through this daily battle of figuring out big picture problems like family and unemployment and health while also tackling minutiae tiny details like, when was the last time I washed my hands? Or do I have enough toilet paper? And is it time to replace my mask? Or can I get away with one more day? These are definitely very unprecedented times. And so this is just our small part in attempting to gather us together and share some stories. I hope you're able to get something out of these. I know for sure it's helped me out a lot just to have these conversations. Okay, let's get into it. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, this is kind of a special episode because we probably couldn't be geographically further away from each other. Um, but we're going to we're gonna do this via teleremote remote uh, due to this COVID era that we're living in. So before we get started, um, please introduce yourself.
1: Who are you and what do you do? Uh, cool. I'm Andy Falshaw. I'm one of the co-founders of Bellroy. I'm its CEO. Uh, So I do Bellroy, Uh, I do Carryology, which Mm -hmm. is a blog discussing all sorts of ways to carry. And then I also try and live the best life I can. So family man, sort of surfing, living, Mm -hmm. community, non-profit work, all sorts of things to just try and live as fulfilling a life as I can, I guess.
0: How many other co-founders are there in Bellroy?
1: Um, The core Oh, it's Belroy's always got these loose edges. But in co-founders, we talk about my brother Matt, um, his partner Lena. So they're both very ha- actively involved in Belroy. And then um, early days, we had Hadrian Monlu, who was a designer who came across and helped. And then um, that was sort of the core founding team. And then we also had crew that are still with us. Um, Jimmy Gleason's our creative director, an amazing guy who was there from the first scribbles. Um, Lincoln Aether is a great friend that um, works in and out of Bellroy. So th- there was a sort of strong founding team, but we talk about the co-founders as Matt, Lena, Adrian, and myself. Got it. Uh, you said you're CEO, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, Even though that title feels a little bit formal and stuffy.
0: Yeah, because, um, I mean, tell me a little bit about your background, because we've interacted in person a couple of times and you don't act like a CEO and you're pretty creative-minded for a chief executive officer. Yeah,
1: yeah. so um, I, I I, guess I wish CEOs had more diversity and I right. think we're starting to see that as well but I certainly come from a design background predominantly um, working in brands design. Um, I'm also an engineer as a Matt and Lena and so we, we sort of have this mix of what we often call art and science the more Mm -hmm. sort of emotional um sort of less tangible side as well as the the process side and i think we we try and do things instead of doing things the way they've always been done we try and work out how should they be done and so there's there's a lot of conventions we don't follow in belroy there's a lot of things we do quite differently and Sometimes you then just need a job title that helps other people navigate <laughs> who they're yeah. talking to and where, but we certainly try not to use those titles too often.
0: Before you guys started Bellroy, you mentioned you know design and engineering. Were you in the bag industry or accessories industry before
1: that? So I, I designed for a couple of bag brands. Um, and then the major period leading into Bellroy, I was four years at Rip Curl. And that's a surf brand, hopefully some of the listeners know of. Um, There I was global chairman for equipment division, which includes all their travel gear, bags, board bags, lots of hardware, um, lots of accessories. So certainly Hadrian and myself were very actively shaping that range. But then before that, from my university days, I was um, freelancing for some bag brands. And I've, I've always had that passion in the... The carry space.
0: I mean, the the rip curl job sounded like it was a pretty cushy, solid career, (laughs) right? I mean, it it seems like you could have probably been there for for most of your days. Why? Why did you guys decide to start your own thing from the ground up?
1: Oh, totally. It it was one of the most indulgent jobs you can believe. Like, (laughs) it, it was a lot of hard work. Like, I I did I did work long hours, except you know, global meetings were in hawaii and bali yeah. and hosgore <laughs> you know and it was like it was always based around an epic sort of surf destination and and you so smash the, out the, some- word
0: cushy, the, the word cushy the word cushy i use is, is un- <laughs> underestimation <laughs> it,
1: it was it it was many people's idea of a dream job it really was and okay um ricka are an incredible organization to work for because i started as a junior accessory designer on like you know the equivalent of minimum wage and um what they let me do was just really work hard on projects that I thought would bring value to the brand and they kept recognizing that and rewarding it and so I I went through some pretty rapid um promotions and evolutions and and so it really was a great brand except um I think about 4 years in it was it was just realising that it was going to lead to a really lovely, enjoyable life, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. really going to change the world much. And Mm. I think for me, I've I've always been quite aware of some of the problems in the world and wanted to see if I could contribute somehow. And so I think Matt and Lena went through a similar process and, and they were leaving consulting careers of sort of supply chain engineering, management consulting, and I think we were all just talking. we'd worked together in a family company before, and we loved working with each other and It's like you know what if if we actually started something together, perhaps there'd be more chance to shape it into the real vision we wanted where we're we were combining things we love doing with things that had an impact beyond ourselves
0: yeah that's it's a it's honorable, but it's also i would imagine risky, right What were some of the like things at risk when you were thinking about leaving the extremely cushy job and then, <laughs> and then going out, you know, it's easy now to say, oh yeah, that was a great idea. But before Bellroy took off or even wasn't, you know, conceived, what were some of those risks that you were, you were putting on the table?
1: Oh man, to give you an idea, I mean, but as we were discussing what we do together and what sort of shape it might take, um, you know, we were looking at the research and Depending on whether you're in a boom cycle or a bust cycle, back then when we looked at the success of startups, it was something like 10% succeeded yes. in a meaningful I, I, way.
0: I've read that stat as well. Yeah. 10% of startup brands make it past five years. So and and to, if you, like, just to give you some perspective for the listener, that's 100 brands start, 10 make it. That's
1: <laughs> correct. 90 fail. And anytime you start reading there's a 20% success rate, you know you're in a bubble. You know there's yeah, about yeah, to cut the carnage time. coming <laughs> yeah, sort of um, And so when we looked at that, like we had diverse skills. Um, you know, Lena's a phenomenal sort of operations, execution, supply chain, a really incredible manager. My brother's a software programmer, an engineer, a manufacturing systems engineer, a, and a really amazing sort of uh, I guess applied rationalist, you'd say, has got these incredible sort of ways to think through problems, mm-hmm. and so when we laid all those out, there were there were a lot of opportunities for us to yeah. pursue, and we we actually ended up starting, I think at one stage it hit nine businesses. Um, some of those were tiny little things, some were much bigger media things, um, and and so we actually started in several different spaces always expecting some of them would resonate and some wouldn't and in hindsight when you look back of course it was going to be Bellroy that took off because you know my whole life had been spent traveling moving through the world thinking about how to carry my goods it was this deep passion but at that time it certainly didn't seem that obvious like we we were starting several different businesses we were self-funding all of them um and so it was It was a really uncertain time and, and we were exploring, we were each taking a different little quiver of the businesses to sort of put our primary focus on. Uh-huh. Um, and out of that, you know, over several years, it emerged that, yes, of course, Belroy was the one that really resonated.
0: That's fascinating. I, I have rarely heard that where, you know, I, I typically hear and, and entrepreneurs that I have on the show are typically like, they have something that they have to do it's singular focused in what they want to do and then they start and then they go at that one thing you guys sort of cast a wide net of like what narrowed down to you said nine possibilities right and there are they all from like different disparate industries those nine companies
1: yeah so different so um and it's I, I love that point about the folks that had to do something, like there was mm-hmm. something they had to get in the world, because that's that actually resonates a lot with us, except when we're looking at the landscape, we're like, God, there's so many things the world needs from us. Like, <laughs> what if we tried on this and this and this? So, it's, you know, to give you an idea, one company was a materials handling company where we made powered machines for pushing around hospital beds and uh, towing uh, heavy equipment and uh-huh. and that came out of a sort of materials background that um, we'd had you know we grew up in a wheel making family that had factories with press shots injection molders we, we understood okay. the healthcare industry and how to move things around then right. other ones um, one company we're still involved with now Radiopedia is um, it's like the world's largest resource for x-rays and that sort of thing so it's essentially a free resource where radiologists around the world can upload cases and articles and share the learning there's conferences run there's all sorts of learning apps and that was because a company took over all the textbooks jacked up all the prices and mm-hmm. all of a sudden education was getting out of the reach of second and third world countries and even first world countries yeah and so we were like god we've got to address this and we had a friend that's a radiologist that had the idea and he really wanted our support to sort of build a business around it so we had a dental supplies company where we could see a similar thing was happening in dental supplies and and prices were being manipulated and it was like oh, what if we just totally gutted the profit margins in the traditional sense and build right. a much leaner supply thing so so they were all businesses where we could really see this issue in the world and we wanted to have a go at it um, and I think it was just that realization that from the outside you think you can see an opportunity but once you get in and really start wrestling with it Mm -hmm. there's often hurdles you hadn't realized there's often reasons why it's that way that you you couldn't see until you really started to wrestle with it so from that outside view you can see all these opportunities and then I think what we tried to do was come in and really dig in and try and get something to market quickly and try and start exploring it Mm -hmm. and that's why it, it sort of started as such a big funnel of opportunity and then as we got in we could start whittling it away and either closing or selling or moving on or expanding or doing other things depending on what we saw once we got into it
0: so what was the one deciding factor that made belroy rise to the cream to the crop was it because it was like you sort of mentioned it's easy it was the easiest to get off the ground
1: um so i think there's many reasons a business succeeds and i think these days you have to have many things go right, many parts connect for a business to really sing and resonate. Mm. And in those early days, like the first 18 months of Bellroy were a struggle. Like, um, you know, we launched, we started working on it 2008 and back then direct-to-consumer wasn't really a thing. It was, um, you know, businesses had website sales, direct sales, but you, you basically built a brand through wholesale channels. For sure. And so our first product sold in 2010 and it was really hard to get retailers to understand our product. Like our wallets were so different. Like you'd mm-hmm. open it up and it looked like it was a wallet with two card slots and that yep. was just confusing. And it yeah. wasn't until you realized the storage was clumped together and tucked behind and hidden away. And, and so for 18 months with Bellroy, it was, it was a real struggle But what we could see really early on was those customers that did buy it, they they were just like, oh, my God, I'm never going back to a normal wallet. And so (laughs) when we actually were engaging with the customers, we could see we had a product that resonated, but we were struggling to understand how to communicate that and how to find the channels that could grow and what to happen. And so I think the thing that ended up like, really being obvious from the first days of belroy was that the product was resonating and then our job was to work out how to get everything else around that how mm-hmm. how to support that product with brand with business with distribution channels with supply chain with all those other things that are required to actually make a business work
0: yeah right interesting when you you guys started it you were all in melbourne
1: yeah so um belroy is bells beach and fitzroy uh, mm-hmm. a splice of those two worlds so I live down in the Bells Beach area with my family and Matt and Lena live in Melbourne, in um, inner city Melbourne. And so we've got an office in Fitzroy and an office in Bells Beach. So um, I think the the first sort of seeds of Bellroy were around our dining table in the Bells Beach area and then as it grew, we started incorporating some of those Fitzroy and Melbourne functions and so it's always been a brand that's sort of been split between this vibrant inner city suburb of Fitzroy which is just one of the world's great creative hubs and then this sort of relaxed coastal lifestyle down around Bells Beach that is much more about getting into nature and immersing and doing all those things and one of the real benefits of the Bells Beach area is the town we we live in this sort of little cluster of towns, Toki, Janja. Um, Belgrade, Bells Beach. And that's the birthplace of Quicksilver and Rick Curl. And so much of the world surf industry was birthed in this tiny little hick surfing town that Mm. (laughs) used to not have a cool bone in its body, but ended up sort of developing this sort of global lifestyle platform.
0: Was your goal when you started Belroy from the get, was it to be a global brand or was it to be a Australian brand?
1: Oh, we had to be global. Um, we really wanted to concentrate on a really specialist little niche. And, you know, when we launched, we had five slim wallets and our range stayed small for years. And when you do that, like Australia's a small market, you know, it's 25 million or so people. And there was no way you could be a specialist brand only selling to Australia. Mm-hmm. So from the very first day we launched we were selling overseas um and i think that really defines belroy these days like our sales every month we're probably selling in 140 countries we've got retailers in about 60 countries our Mm -hmm. sales are split right around the world um and that was always our plan from day one because we wanted to be able to specialize and and sort of make really unique niche product and so um yeah, Australia wasn't a big enough market to do that in.
0: You know, one of the things that I hear most from young, uh, soon-to-be entrepreneurs is that they don't live in New York, Tokyo, London, or Paris. And so they think by being in a secondary, tertiary city, or maybe even like a small town, that they're sort of behind the eight ball in terms of the ability to become a global brand. Did you face any of that? Or do you feel like that was something that like... Um, you felt like you wanted to be challenged by and overcome?
1: Um, I I think that's such a good observation. So for us, um, we we don't have a singular focus on profit, right? Like that's this broken paradigm. We saw where it led to with Enron, all sorts of companies. It's Mm -hmm. like businesses should balance many goals. Um, There's your social goals, your environmental goals, all Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. And I, I think the sort of person that, really sings when they come into Belroy is someone that has a diverse life they they you know they have family life they care about they have pursuits and hobbies they have skills they have all sorts and so the folks that we love working with in Belroy often want to balance much more than just their professional career so they work really hard they're intense they do all those things but then they want to balance other things and I, I think that's much easier to do when rent isn't consuming a huge portion of your salary, when you're close to outdoors and immersion in that, you can Mm -hmm. go for a surf at lunchtime, you can sort of mix it up with a much more diverse life. And so uh, for us, um, the goal was to put it in great livable cities. You know, Melbourne is often rated one of the world's most livable cities. It's either winning it or in the top five pretty much every year. And I think that's because there's... There's enough, you know, four to five million people. There's enough of a hub that it has culture, it has immersion, it has all those things. But then you're right into, you know, outdoor nature. You've got mountains, you've got surf, you've got all these things within reach. Yeah. So I think we never wanted to be yanked away from uh-huh. <laughs> such a great place to right. live. But there's massive challenges from that. Like our company is is quite unique in Australia. Like when we talk with accountants or lawyers or other professional service support areas, it's like they're just not used to seeing a brand like ours Mm -hmm. built from Melbourne. It's like you'd see this sort of brand built in New York or you'd see it built in London or somewhere like that and you'd see more services. So every time we engage with Um, requirements for the business people start by scratching their head going yeah right I haven't really seen a business quite like yours before okay and we're like all right well let's engineer this sort of from first principles on let's understand what should we do let's there's no longer a cookie cutter formula you can use we're going to have to sort of craft this from principles rather than just assume everything else so there's friction that comes from that I think some aspects would have been much easier to to create if we did start in a massive city or one yeah. of the hubs. But I think we just want it to be about so much more than just the business side.
0: Right. Well, it sounds like you took the the best parts of Melbourne and weave that into the company. And I would say to anyone listening that like there are those same elements in wherever town or village you might be from. There are those positive elements. And if you sort of take those positives and put them into whatever you're creating, I think that's where you can tap into the energy of where you're from.
1: I think that's so true. And I think people are starting to yearn for something that's not just that generic Bay Area startup feel or that generic um, LA startup feel or yeah. whatever it is. People are looking for a bit more character, a bit more flavor and you know the idiosyncrasies that make that feel unique. Right. The other thing
0: that you said that I thought was really interesting was that your brand and company wasn't based off of profitability.
1: Yeah, so profitability, <laughs> is, like yeah, it like- matters, right? Like you can't be a sustainable business without profit. Um, and so it's an important ingredient. But when, you know, the broken paradigm of Milton Friedman of, you know, the sole purpose of a business is to maximize shareholder return. It's like, that is such nonsense. It's like, when you look at how People's own goals are structured. They've got goals around professional fulfillment, about family life, around you know great hobbies and indulgences, of, around experiencing everything the world has to offer. And if humans are that nuanced in their goals, well, surely businesses should be as well. And yeah, so there's businesses.
0: Humans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so it's like really trying to tease out: well, is this business all about supporting local, or is it all about bringing? global access to, you know, amazing craft folk in different regions. Or it's like th- there should be so many different goals for businesses and every business should sort of tease out those goals and get people that are aligned to those goals and then try and work on a little quiver of goals rather than this one overriding paradigm that profits all that matters. Because, man, that breaks a lot of shit when that's your only goal.
0: Yeah, it also makes life sucky.
1: <laughs> when it's just about numbers, you know, and I
0: I think, that, and I, I would assume it's for you too, like if you can wake up every day and really enjoy what you're doing and what you're producing and your team can too, that's like over 51% of the goal.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and having the people you're working with not being one dimensional characters, having them being these nuanced individuals that the more time you spend with them, the more you discover and the more you're like, wow, that's a whole nother way to live life. And yeah. oh, that's so interesting. And it just creates this rich texture of experience that right. um, they're the sort of people we want to work with.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to Belroy and those first 18 months where you said it was kind of a struggle. You had sort of a loyal, small fan base that got it, but you also had a bunch of people that looked at your wallet and scratched their heads. Do you remember... After that first year and a half, or or maybe it took even longer. But when did it click? When did when did you guys sit down and say like, "Oh my God, it's working now! Like people are getting it." Was there was there a sort of a, a moment that it occurred, like a moment of clarity, or was it more just like a constant slow grind?
1: Oh, it's it's such an interesting question because for us, it was actually a moment, and it was wow. um. which isn't normally, like it's normally this slow grind. But, you know, we've been experimenting, we've been iterating. Um, One of the companies we were running, Tricycle Developments, was um, a whole bunch of really sophisticated computer sort of software programmers, um we'd been writing sort of complex back-end software for companies we had been doing this stuff and some of those geeks had so been was this were, one
0: of the what, was this one of the other eight companies you were uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: okay. yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally okay so this uh, is
0: one of the uh, the sister companies
1: absolutely that um my brother had been spending a bit of time in and some of some of the um geeks from there had been experimenting with some of our team who were doing um playing with landing pages really it was like okay. how do we take someone through a journey to explain why our wallets look the way they do and and what benefits that gives the user and so they ended up um developing these landing pages and then exploring you know Go- google advertising as ways to sort of get a little teaser ad onto a site and then bring someone into a landing page experience and okay. and it, it started it to was. work <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Like, give, give me, give me
0: some like metrics. What do you mean, work? Like, what was the change?
1: Like, um, from that point, like we'd already built a little bit of a base, but from that point for the next many years, we were growing at hundreds of percent, like, like high hundreds of percent, even. <laughs> oh um, god. so it was, like was just this. <laughs> oh my god it was just this rocket ship and so it was fascinating because for the first couple of years it was just that taking off and then all of a sudden we were production constrained like we we only had one maker this amazing family company um, in India that we'd worked with previously at a prior company um, we were maxing out their ability mm. to make our wallets our wallets were a really Difficult wallets to make. They're complex. They're not like normal things. And so soon we couldn't, we just couldn't keep up with demand. And then we had to go and find another factory that we could have that sort of relationship with where we could really invest together. We could do all those things. But that then took ages to get them up to speed. And so we then had this sort of era where we were just we couldn't make enough and then we finally got more production on and then we could sort of explode again. And so it it was many years of just astronomical growth for a company that, you know, we were bootstrapped like it was half a million us dollars was required to get Bellroy to profit. And that, that was it. So, you know, there there was a big investment from our own sakes. We had a lot of our own wealth in there. Um, but, it it took off and became a real business quickly that could pay its way and fund its own growth. And, right. you know, it just sort of went from there.
0: How many employees do you have now?
1: Um, oh, there must be about 80 in Australia, maybe. And then we, what we do, we really partner with key folks. So there must be Six or seven hundred people working full time on Belroy. Mm-hmm. Except the way we do that, we have really close partnerships with suppliers. We, you know, we are the only brand in that factory wow. or that entire wing. Um, wow. We they they make for us full time. We then utilize some distributors and um, other folk to sort of help sell our products into wholesale channels in other countries. We mm-hmm. outsource all of our warehousing. So we've got an amazing third-party logistics supplier that has multiple warehouses around the world. So we, we try and keep the team as small as we can, mm-hmm. but then create really good partnerships. Got it. Interesting.
0: And you know what's interesting that I find too, is that I actually knew about Carryology before I knew about Belroy. And um, you mentioned Karyology in the very, very beginning, but I wanna to touch on that a little bit because Karyology is basically like a media platform where you talk about sort of the the science and art of bags, right? But you also shout out your competitors, which is kind of a weird thing like it'd be like you know be like if mcdonald's started a website that talked about burger king and wendy's all day you know (laughs) like it'd be very or or starbucks shouted out other coffee like you would never hear that so like tell me about the impetus of like why carryology exists
1: yeah um yeah a lot of people do scratch their heads and it, it's much more than just shout out like we've got close friendships with a lot of these brands um you know we we talk a lot behind the yeah, scenes right do a like lot.
0: i think i saw recently like a top 10 buying guide from carryology and <laughs> bellroy wasn't in the top 10 and i was like guys, you should show yourself a little bit of love <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's so fascinating because so um Oh, okay. Let me uh, step yeah. back. So, uh, Carryology actually launched before Bellroy. So we started conceiving of both of them at the same time. Um, so uh, 2008, um, mm-hmm. we were toying with both. And I think for us, this wasn't a, you know, Bellroy wasn't a brand we wanted to build and flip. It was, it, we wanted to build a business that we could love and work in for generation, you know. And so when we thought about that, it, it was actually, you know, A big part of your world is the world of sneakers. And Mm -hmm. having watched that happen where there were closet collectors, there were people that had an interest, but it wasn't until you got the sneaker freaker and the the sort of campfires for people to come around and discuss and share and stoke their passion that you really saw sort of the explosion of sneakers as a thing. Yep. And the culture the culture of it exactly, with that that campfire approach where people could share so much more than just the product yeah. um, and we could see that in the world what what we called carry, and back then that wasn't a term being used. Um, people talked about bags and accessories, they talked about travel or luggage there wasn't even a term to talk about the things you use to carry your stuff and When we were looking at it, we were like the same principles that work in getting a great bag and optimizing it and doing all that, they're similar principles for wheeled luggage or for your wallet or for pouches or for like the other ways you carry your stuff through the world. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, all right, well, if, if we're in this for the long run, how do we put ourselves at the center of this world? Like we already had friendships with some other designers and brands, but we were like, there's not this sort of, catalyst this seed that can really bring this community together yeah um and so we launched carryology in 2009 and it was like you know it was run really lean like we we, it was passion project it was on weekends it was after hours um Mm -hmm. we ended up really quickly finding some rad folk like contributors that are still with us to this day um -hmm. who shared a passion they they already had an interest in this area and they were just craving the ability to sort of get around and make something more of this and so carryology a lot of the articles are written by you know volunteers we have a, a global sort of contributor base and it was really about building that campfire so we review product we do interviews we share a bunch of industry things we get involved in events and support that stuff and it it's really just a platform to stoke people on the idea of carry and help them progress in their own journey and learn how to move through the world with less friction less encumbrance
0: does it have a whole separate team like it has its own editor and everything it like does
1: that? yeah it does so okay. um its own editor um milky <laughs> mike who um <laughs> leads up um a team and coordinates people around the world to do it and we we try and keep it quite separately so as as you <laughs> said like we're so aware. We, we never want it to feel like Bellroy's doing too much because Carryology, it's it's got way more stakeholders than Bellroy. Like, we're just one of the stakeholders. There's all these contributors. There's the brands. There's everyone else. So we're always, like, we're always really cautious on how we talk about Bellroy. We're open about the relationship that it's supported by Bellroy, um, but now it's, it's really become its own thing and we want to make sure it can we want to make sure it's serving many different stakeholders, not just us. And yeah. so it's, yeah, we're very sensitive to keep that sort of independence there. Right.
0: Well, it seems like Bellroy and everything you guys do now are, are at a really, really good place. And I, I'm sort of picturing in my head this this kind of vision of like you and your co-founders kind of like trekking through this this huge mountain. Um, to get to to get to the top and and that's where belroy is now and you sort of cleared like the crest and now you're sort of like at the top of that mountain and, and you're, you're <laughs> I, I, I feel like i'm
1: still at everest base camp <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like I, I feel like we're nowhere near the top I am. What,
0: are there still challenges now or is it pretty like much in cruise control
1: oh man if if you can find anyone who's in cruise control, like leading <laughs> Especially a business, in this time. Yeah. Oh my God. It's it um, you know, life's about the journey, not the destination, sort of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I think for us, there's so much we're proud of. I, I think we have such a great team. I we do a lot of nonprofit work and we've been able to move significant funds, resources, and support to some incredible folk working sort of straight on the world's biggest problems. Mm-hmm. Um and as bellroy sort of increases its footprint we're able to suck up more and more of the world's best talent and bring them into our team we're able to increase the leverage and the learning and the, the pool and the resource base that then we can also direct to these other big world problems and so um oh i i still feel like we're just getting started it's never easy where we we change we pivot we are like it's it's like we're, we're sort of guided by our values, but we're we're updating strategy every single day to try and understand how to resonate, what else to do. There's still yeah. carry categories we want to fill into. Um, we've got so much work we're doing on sustainability at the moment where we've got some incredible material development projects we're working on that if we can get them to market over the next six, 12 months, like they, they really start to change the game a bit in sustainability. And oh, I think we just still see everything we're still to do and um and we're we're still working pretty damn hard (laughs) well right now we are as at the time
0: of this recording we're about four months into um the corona COVID-19 pandemic um how did that affect you guys um did it did it knock you on your ass or was it more like a sucker punch like what did it do to the business
1: oh yeah um oh it's you know, it's affecting everyone in so many different ways. So we took a hit definitely and the the hardest part for us was the hit was mainly through our wholesale channels, you know, the, mm-hmm. the amazing retailers we sell through through the world and, you know, they're hurting so bad and yeah. um, that's definitely impacted our sales but it, it's like our thought and attentions with them, not really with us on that because they've got bigger issues, you know, yeah. they big rents, big leases, things that are really tricky to do. Um, you know, our direct to consumer business, you know, took a quick hit, but has recovered quickly. You know, we're we're still helping people navigate the world. You know, move through it, do those things. So you you sell less sort of travel style bags, but you can still sell laptop sleeves and phone cases and many other things they need. So the we've we've kept our whole team together. You know, we we took a revenue hit, but we're starting to claw our way back out of that pretty quickly now. Yeah. Um, we we managed to keep our whole team together which i'm stoked with um oh, nice. no layoffs or, or no out. and and you know that's tricky it, it meant <laughs> you take a hit to the you know you go into the red for a bit and you do those things but I, I think we're trying to sort of just even out those bumps and we you know we just yeah we've got so many great people we we needed to keep them and then for us now, a lot of our attention shifting to you know our suppliers. Like when you see how India is facing these challenges right now, like it's it's brutal. Like they they don't have the safety yeah that a lot of more developed countries have, and so we're now really trying to sort of lean into those areas and understand how we can help and what we can do there. So. Um, you know our supply chain was interrupted definitely, and we haven't wanted to get it back going until we believe we can do that safely. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, we've got a really agile supply chain, and you know the team worked amazingly well. So there hasn't been too much stock interruption. You know most things are still in stock, and we're doing a bit of mad juggling behind the scenes to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and Beltway now we have its own retail stores. No, we don't. Okay. And so it's, you know, the business is wholesale
0: and dot com.
1: Yeah, and then marketplaces. So we do key marketplaces around the world that we think we can have a good experience through mm-hmm. and yeah, we control those sales on the marketplaces so that um we don't get price dilution and those sorts of things.
0: What is the uh the ratio of like wholesale to your own dot com for the business?
1: Um the the direct dot com is the largest bite by a fair way. Um, oh, nice. Our website's translated in multiple languages, multiple currencies, you know, it's, it's a real global footprint in that way. Uh-huh. And then marketplaces and wholesale are about equivalent for us. Um, you know, places like Mall in China or Rakuten or mm-hmm. um, Amazon in the right countries done the right way. So
0: nice. So I want to ask you to put your... Um, fortune teller hat on for a second and after we you know it's sort of questionable whether we're coming out of covid right now or not i feel like it's an everyday battle and like you said certain regions you know india was doing great in the beginning and now it's beginning to get hot and south america now is getting hit you know um after like if there's a vaccine and like you know we're all sort of through this do you think what the entire world went through will have lasting changes like do you see us let's say uh 12 months from now do you see us just resetting back to life as it was before and, and we <laughs> have forgotten everything or do you think we'll be really really changed people
1: oh i think it's going to be different around the world so you know first off um I, just like every other human i don't have a very good um success rate at predicting the future <laughs> but um i think You know, when we look back at history and and similar events, you know, Mm -hmm. you can look back at the um, Spanish influenza pandemics, you can look at um, the SARS virus through Asia. I I think there's there's legacies that live for the next decade or beyond. Um, You can see Asia's incredible awareness around hygiene, you know, Mm -hmm. mask usage and you have disinfecting stations and a lot of it's touch-free interfaces and you can really see how, you know, large parts of Asia really built an awareness around hygiene that has lasted and stuck. Um, I think, you know, economies are smashed, like they're being propped up by government spending at the moment. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to create, you know, lasting impacts. I think, um, I think it's, there's changes that are accelerating. You know, you can see e-commerce adoption has yeah. had its little hockey stick kick yeah. um, after being very stable for the last decade. All of a sudden, there's a massive uptick. And I think parts of, you know, people will return to brick and mortar, but it, it's likely that many new people are now familiar with e-commerce transactions. And so I, I think it's probably given us a bit of a step change that will hang around. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: how about work? Um, you mentioned you had about 80 people. Normally would they all sort of report to one headquarters or two or two offices
1: you have, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. Um I so I think it's fascinating to see what's happening at the moment. I, I think yeah. there's certain areas where really high rents have meant it's difficult to run businesses. So, you know, Bay Area is a classic example, mm-hmm. but also a lot of the financial districts of major cities companies have been spending a lot of money on, you know, expensive office space. Um, Ours are sort of out and not as expensive areas, so we don't have that same burden. But those are the companies right now where you're seeing them swap to, all right, we're now work from home, you know, we're now fully remote. And they've got a big incentive to do that. And I've got a bit of a cautionary note on that because, I think there's certain styles of work and business that can go fully remote, but I think there's a lot of things you lose when you do that. There's a lot of cultural glue. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, the water cooler discussions that end up leading to the landing page that ended up being what (laughs) helped, you know, Belroy take off. I think there's a lot of um, beautiful things when you bring humans together face to face or mask to mask that are, (laughs) that you miss when you go fully remote so i i think i think there will be a step change in how many people do parts of their work remotely Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of businesses will probably overreact and go fully remote and then two years later realize oh shit we're now missing all those little sparky ideas that used to happen maybe we've got to start bringing people together again right um and that's a, such
0: a hard thing to miss because it it doesn't show up on a spreadsheet. Exactly. Either, it's so plug. hard to measure. Yeah. Yep.
1: You just realize
0: 5 years later your competitors are way more innovative than you are and then you're like, shit, what did we what do we go wrong? It's the water cooler. We don't have the water cooler anymore.
1: <laughs> I I think that's exactly right. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you you got it. There's like a there's like
0: an osmosis almost when you sort of, you know, like put people in a room together and and I think the remote working we've, you know, I can speak for myself and my company and I'm sure it's the same for you but like we've managed to figure out how to stay productive but it's not an always on thing. It's like okay, I've got a Zoom call now. But then once the Zoom call's over, like not only does the Zoom call shut down, but I feel like everyone's sort of like osmosisness shuts down too. Like they're not absorbing anymore. It's just like okay, I'll turn back on my brain when it's time for the next conference call, you know?
1: I I I think that's right. And I think different like, you know, there's certain introverts that are loving this. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, they're just like, oh, are you kidding me? I get to just sort of hang at home and do my thing in my space. Unreal. Yeah. Um, but I think I I think one of the things we talk about a lot is if, if if you're running a dynamic company where the work is interesting, the work is often diverse as well. And different types of work need different setups. So there's mm-hmm. some types of work that are unreal done from home or there's certain, yeah. you know, Google Meet or Zoom meetings that actually work really well. They're generally not the brainstormy ones. They're generally like the quick updates that touch in, make some core decisions and go. Uh-huh. And they're actually working really well remotely. But as when you're trying to, you know, design bags, it's like you need to be there with physical samples and you're cutting and you're sewing and you're, you know, stapling yeah. and gluing and, you know, you need this sort of physical interaction. Um, right. And so I think really what we're trying to do at the moment is say, well, what's actually working better now that we're mm-hmm. remote? Let's mm-hmm. identify that. And then what's not working as well. And then when we come together in an office space, let's make sure that's focused on the things that the office space is needed to create. Right. And, and so we're really trying to carve it up. And if, if we succeed sort of a year or two from now, our work week will be more diverse and more varied than it's ever been. We'll know right. when to go remote, when to meet in person. We'll know right. when to travel versus when to stay home. Yeah. Um, and th- I think that's my hope.
0: Yep. That, that's a very hopeful future too. Uh, and I do want to um, give a shout out because I, I, you know, I've been a fan of Caryology and Belroy and for a long time. And um, it was actually the, the impetus for us actually being able to meet in person was oddly enough, Miller Genuine Draft, which has this thing called the Design Lab, uh, which I happen to be like sort of the global curator of. And when they said you know, we're going to, you know, it the, the design lab sort of visits different regions of around the world. Um, you know, we've gone to Canada, South Africa, and then when it was time to go to Australia and they, you know, we wanted to bring a brand in to be able to work with. And I saw the Bellroy name across, you know, uh, the list of possibilities. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, this is awesome that we get to work with Bellroy. And before I knew it, you were on a plane pre-COVID, of course uh actually very close to (laughs) pre-covid like i think you you came like you you were on a plane to new york from australia and uh you you came to visit us in our office which was awesome to be face to face
1: yeah and i'm i'm so grateful for that you know we've tracked (laughs) your guys work for years you know from the first you know pigeon dunks through Mm -hmm. um you know we've always tracked and it had just you know the paths had never fully crossed but as soon as um miller design lab sort of helped facilitate that and bring us together we were like oh of course man yeah i'll, I'll get over it. you know i've got other reasons i can make yeah. as an excuse to be in the u.s let's, let's um let's fly there do this and then I'll, I'll i'll take a couple of other things on pretending that it's justified um yeah it was and- great.
0: We, uh, we worked on this really great bag together that um is allowed to be customized so the kit has uh you know paints paint brushes we we co-created this great blank canvas sling bag that has all these like um details and bonus features it's i'm going to post it on my instagram it'll be up by the time this podcast is up Uh, but it's a really it was a really great project to work on and more so than the actual bag itself it was really great just learning about you and your working process
1: yeah and i i think one of the things i'm so excited about with the project is we we've sort of done the first half together and now we're putting it in the hands of a bunch of amazing creatives and we're mm-hmm. seeing where they take it right. and it's that whole celebration of all right like thinking about creativity between new york and melbourne thinking about vibrant nightlifes activities like where would people take this and you know i'm already seeing one that's getting these amazing led lights embedded that respond to music and to all sorts <laughs> i'm seeing like there's where where these creatives are going to take this project is just like really exciting.
0: Yeah. And and also to go full circle on on the interview but like you know we talked about how you are the CEO of the company but you hope that in the future like CEOs sort of have a, a left right brain embedded in them. It's great that Miller Genuine Draft even has a design lab that allows for a platform like this to exist to allow people like us to connect to create these cool things. You know, that's pretty impressive from a beer company.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it it is, you know, there's creatives in the world that should be brought together and we're just looking for the excuse to do it. And when yeah. they can sort of spark that and facilitate it, it's like, hell yeah, let's do this. That sounds right. like heaps of fun.
0: Right. In fact, I mean, you and I are going to work on another project that has, you know, because we've connected now, it's not part of Miller Design Lab, but we're going to work on something else. <laughs> that spawned from the Australian bushfire situation. Um, But because 2020 is such a shithole of a year, we we couldn't even keep up with the tragedies, right? (laughs) Like we couldn't even finish that project before like the next three tragedies erupted. And so now we've got another project coming out that's gonna help and try to help all the tragedies that have happened in the first five months of this year already. But uh, it's just fun to see that like the ripple effect of, of, Miller bringing us together and then us being able to do more things and then hopefully more things in the future.
1: Yeah, I really agree. Um, And, you know, just they're, they're interesting projects and they each bring a different angle in and yeah, it's, it's really fun to think of where they might end up.
0: Yeah. Speaking about, you know, these, these issues that the world's going through and tragedies and stuff, do you ever sort of question yourself or do people close to you question you about um, business and raising revenue and sort of doing good with that. Like that's something that I've been um, poked at in terms of like criticisms. I've had to address it. The idea of like how business should help and give back uh, and whether there's a place for that. Some people think like you do anything business wise, even if it gives back, it's a, it's exploitative. And some people think, no, you have to keep the ship running. You have to, Keep these people employed. And if you can do that and give back, it's a win win situation. I wanted to see if you've had similar questions or struggles.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we're a B Corporation and B Corps have been set up to address just this. So it's a whole bunch of for purpose businesses, businesses like Patagonia, Burton, lots of, you know, Ben and Jerry's, loads of businesses that they all need to make profit. Otherwise, they're not sustainable businesses. But they're motivated by so much more than just profit, um, mm-hmm. and so we're we're actively in this world. And one of the real challenges at the moment is, you know, if, lots of people have opinions. They they might have read one tweet or one thing, and all of a sudden their opinion's pretty set. And yeah, businesses can't make a profit; they can't be sustained. Like mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have VCs willing to pour hundreds of millions in, but you can see that that backfires more often than it works. Yeah. And,
0: and they're not going to do it more than once. <laughs> yeah, <they don't, laughs>
1: how many times
0: can <laughs> that happen?
1: You know, <laughs> T- Totally. And I think the really important thing is that the profit is not made in an extractive sort of gaming the system way. It's like, are you actually creating things that bring value to people and that there's there's enough sort of kickback for doing that that you can then reinvest that into other projects and other good things? And yeah. I think you and I both feel a huge... Um, sense of responsibility for the, yeah. the mouths we help feed you know the mm-hmm. the staff we have the partners we have yeah, the even the retailers and others that we work with and and if we can't keep the lights on we can't help them keep the lights on yep. um and so i think it's it's one of those challenges that you know i i see comments on some of the feeds i, I saw one on your insta Post where I was just like oh it's it's kind of sad like someone's sure they know something mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like I don't think they really do like yeah. I think their map of the world's a bit broken right and it's it's such a challenge because yes it would be great if we could all have infinite material goods infinite you know mindful goods if we could all have these things and they just materialized out of nowhere but mm. you, you got to run like you got to yeah. actually run proper formulas that that are. Help you do that for the long run, and not yes. just this short-term thing. And so, yeah. yeah, I think there's lots of profit that's made in bad ways, but there's lots of profit that's made in really good ways. Like Patagonia yeah. is a really profitable brand, and man, they've done a lot for sustainability. Like they've and done decades, so much that's for, decades. Key, for decades, for decades, yeah. and they can do it at a scale now that was only possible because there was a profit component in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. If, if Eve Chouinard on day one said, I'm just going to give everything away that I make, <laughs> Patagonia would be a nine-month-old company.
1: Totally. Yep. Totally. Totally.
0: Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time and information. This was an, an awesome session. Um, keep doing your thing uh, down under with Bellroy, and uh, hopefully we're going we're gonna to see more of you globally everywhere, and hopefully we could do more stuff together too.
1: Oh, and thank you so much for digging into all these stories behind the brands and, you know, it, it just brings so much kind of interesting context and learning out to other communities like us where we, we are trying to learn from others and the way you share those stories and the way you dig in for the insights, um, it helps the world. It's really Great. good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in and listening to this special stay at home series of the business of hype. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to all the other episodes that we have on hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It still helps us tremendously to leave a rating, leave a comment, and share the show with others. I greatly appreciate it. You can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jeff Staple. This special stay at home series of The Business of Hype was directed by me and produced alongside Christina Hong. Social distancing was practiced during the making of these episodes, and I urge everyone, stay at home, distance yourself from others, wash your hands, cough and sneeze in your elbow, and don't touch your face. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inspired, and we will get through this. I'm Jeff Staple and you've been listening to the business of hype on Hype Beast Radio.